the man had to come to terms with the truth this day that if there is any good thing which hinders you from following after Christ completely, then you will not inherit eternal life. And here's the terrifying thing of this tragedy as we read it, is that it may be playing itself out in your life today. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part one of The Gospel Tragedy from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor's scripture text is from the New Testament Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 21. Sound and fury, signifying nothing. When was the last time you heard a pastor quote from Shakespeare's famous play, Macbeth, huh? Well, that's part of what you're going to hear today as we listen to Pastor Paul Twist fit that timeless tragedy into the tragedy of our lives. What? You don't think your life is a tragedy? Is it more like a comedy? A romance? As we listen to today's message, you might be hit by the fact that much of your life actually has barriers keeping you from living the life that God has called you to. And if you don't follow Him, your life is ultimately a tragedy. Care to disagree? Listen now to part one of The Gospel Tragedy. Acts 5, scene 5. She should have died hereafter. She should have died hereafter. There would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets this hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Just a few lines from Macbeth. Just a few lines from one of Shakespeare's many plays, one of Shakespeare's many tragedies. He was a man that knew how to write a tragedy. He was a man who had a gift for penning a tragedy. Tragedies that have stood the test of time. Tragedies that can penetrate even the hardest of human hearts. Tragedies that can move a man. But, you know, not even Shakespeare, the great William Shakespeare, was able to write a tragedy of the proportion that we have before us today in this text. Not even Shakespeare could write a tragedy as tragic, as significant, as profound, as terrifying as this short account that we have before us this morning. You see, in these few verses in in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 10, we have just a very brief exchange between a man and Jesus. A very brief exchange, which is a gospel tragedy, a gospel tragedy, which, which falls into two scenes. The first scene I've called the good man. And then the second scene is Mark changes the vantage point somewhat. We see that he was a godless man, the good man, the godless man. And we find out that the truth, that if there is any 
good thing, if there is any good thing which hinders you from following after Jesus completely, then you will not inherit eternal life. That is the truth that this man had to deal with on this day. See, this is not a parable, and this is not a story, a made-up story. This is a, an account, a historical narrative, fact. The man had to come to terms with the truth this day that if there is any good thing which hinders you from following after Christ completely, then you will not inherit eternal life. And here's the terrifying thing. The terrifying thing of this tragedy as we read it is that it may be playing itself out in your life today. This gospel tragedy may be a reality for you today. So follow with me. Listen to to what Jesus is telling us so that we would not miss eternal life. Read with me, Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. We'll stop there. Scene one of this gospel tragedy is the good man. We're in the book of Mark. Now, Mark is all about showing us that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. And because of that, we should follow him. His message from start to finish is that this is, number one, the promised one, the Messiah. Number two, he's the Son of God. And because of those truths, we need to follow him. We see lots of Jesus' teaching. We see his preaching. We see his signs and his miracles. We hear the gospel message in various forms. And all of it is in order that we might see who Jesus is, and that we should follow him. And in chapter 8, we get Peter's confession, you are the Christ. He says, who do you say I am? He says, you're the Christ. It's as if the lights go on for Peter, and all that he's been seeing Jesus do for the last few years, all that he's been hearing comes to a head in Peter's mind, and he says, you are the Christ. He gets it. And then shortly afterwards, as we turn the page, we have the transfiguration. And Jesus is up on the mountain with Elijah and Moses, And before Peter and James and John, he reveals himself in a particular way as the Christ. Peter gets it. He says, you're the Christ. And then he sees the Christ in a unique way. And those two things coupled together mark something of a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. All of a sudden, things change somewhat. I mean, the the main earthly teaching ministry of Jesus is now over. It's done with. Now... When Jesus comes down from the mountain, he sets his face towards Jerusalem. He's a man on a mission. He's heading so that he might die. All of a sudden in Mark, after those two events, we see the narrative changes. And Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem. He sets his face. He's a man on a mission so that he would open up his arms. The nails would be driven through in accordance with the preordained plan of God so that he would die for our sins. And this is where we pick up today on that journey. And on that journey, what we see is that Jesus begins to teach 
his disciples what it means to follow him. He starts to reveal to his disciples with increased clarity and and an increased weightiness and severity exactly what it means to follow after Christ. And on that journey, amidst that teaching, we see that a man runs up to Jesus. Now, this is significant because, you see, in those days, men didn't run especially not this man. We've, we learn from the other accounts, from Matthew's account of this interaction and from Luke's account, that this was a, a particular man in society. I mean, he had a bit of prestige. He had some respect. He was rich. He was young. He was a ruler of some sort, probably in the synagogue. People knew who this guy was, and they respected him. They revered him. He had a reputation to keep. So when it says he ran up to Jesus, I mean, this is significant. He's putting all of that to one side. He's doing a very undignified thing here. He doesn't care what people are saying about him that day. He knows that there must be many conversations going on in the crowd as people see him run up to Jesus. But he doesn't care because he's desperate. He needs to speak to Jesus. He sees Jesus and he needs to speak to him. And not only does he run up to him, but he kneels before him. This man gets down before Jesus. He throws himself on the ground. He lowers himself. I mean, how undignified is this? But he's desperate. He needs to speak to Jesus. And he's got a question for him. He needs to speak to this man. He needs to get a response. And his question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I read this question and I think, I think this is going to be a really good day. I read this and I think we're in for a good day here. You see, I'm, I'm out there and I'm trying my best to interact with unbelievers. So when I'm at the store and at the gas station, I'm just trying my best to interact with some unbelievers. And as I do so, I'm thinking, okay, how do I turn this conversation over to to eternal things? How how do I get onto the gospel with this person? And I'll be honest, I I think I'm not very good at this. I, I really struggle to do this. And then I read this account and I see that the man is initiating the contact. He's running up to Jesus It's like being in the store and the the guy runs up to you and says, tell me about eternal life. And not only that, but the man is running up to Jesus. I mean, he's running up to the one. If you want to speak to anyone about eternal life, you speak to this man. So I, I read his question. I see what's going on. and I think this is going to be a really good day. And Jesus's response is uh, curious, to say the least. Jesus says, number one, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then number two, Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he, and he gives this man the law. I mean, here's the exchange. The man's running up to Jesus. Everyone's watching, surely. He's put his dignity to one side, possibly forever. That's him done now. He says to Jesus, tell me about eternal life. And Jesus says, number one, it would seem, number one, why do you call me good? Number two, here's the law. And with all reverence, I say, Jesus, what are you doing? I say, Jesus. And he's come to show people that he's the son of God, the Christ, to reveal himself. And he says, it would seem, I'm not good. He points to God and says, God alone is good. Talk about ministry suicide. 
And then when it comes to the gospel part, you know, I'm thinking, Jesus, give him the gospel with, with divine clarity in a way that you or I could never do. Explain to him the gospel, and not only to him, but to all the people watching. And surely, as Jesus, the Son of God, knew, he must have known that this account would be written down in Scripture for all generations. So give him the gospel. Give the world the gospel from your mouth. And his answer is, the law. I mean, really, Paul says, I died to the law that I might live to God. Paul said, I died to the law that I might live to God. And here's Jesus saying, you know the commandments. So, so what's going on? We need to understand a little more about this man to see what Jesus is saying. Here's a man who, who had grown up in legalistic, pharisaical Judaism. Here's a man who only knew legalism, who only knew how to be a, a Pharisee. He was a man who only knew how to do and to keep and to earn. I mean, did you see how he asked the question? He comes up to Jesus and he doesn't say, Jesus, how do you give me eternal life? He doesn't say, Jesus, you, you give me eternal life. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, I've been doing things my whole life. Give me another thing to do and I'll do it. So when Jesus answers and he says, God alone is good, he's, he's simply trying to lift this man's eyes up from the, the law that he's so zealous to keep towards God, whom the, the law is about. He's simply trying to lift this man's eyes up from the commandments that he loves so much towards God. He's, he's not saying, I'm not good. We know, we know from the rest of Scripture that, that Jesus was the exact image of God and that, that he, he alone is good. But he's just trying to help this man. He's trying to help him get away from the law. And then... When he gives him the answer, you know the commandments and list some commandments. He's very simply answering within the framework that this man understood. I mean, he wasn't thinking in terms of, of repentance or underlying attitude to God. Jesus was very gracious when he gave him an answer, you know the commandments. He was, he was just answering in a way that the man would understand. The answer is not wrong. If we keep the law perfectly, then, then we have eternal life. So this confusing response from Jesus is actually one that is just clothed in grace. It is a very gracious response. And here's where it gets fascinating. The man responds in verse 20. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Arrogance? Arrogance, hypocrisy, foolishness, foolishness. All these I've kept from my youth. It's not any of those things. The man very simply was giving a statement of fact. He was just being honest. He says, Jesus, you tell me not to murder. I haven't murdered anyone. He says, you tell me not to steal. I haven't stolen a thing. Don't defraud. I haven't done it. The man is just giving a very simple statement of fact. He's not lying. He's not stupid. He's not arrogant. He's saying, the things you just said, I've done. And so as we read just this first act in this gospel tragedy, 
with a very simple reading of the text, we, we have to conclude that this man was a good man. Here was a good man, and that is the very beginning of the tragedy. The very first cracks in the glass. The initial but ever so telling unraveling of the yarn. The wheels begin to come off as we see that this man was good. He had it all in place. He hadn't put a foot wrong. Now, he knew something was lacking because he comes to Jesus and he says, tell me about eternal life. How do I get eternal life? He knows something's lacking, but he couldn't see beyond his own self-righteousness. He's a man who, who was with the apostle Paul before he was converted, who says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, a people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, zealous as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. He didn't come to Jesus and say, woe is me. He didn't come to Jesus and say, have mercy on me for my sin. He came to Jesus and said, give me something more to do because I've kept the law and I need something more. He didn't understand that his good deeds, his zealous law-keeping, were as filthy rags before a holy God. He didn't understand that you can't offer Christ anything, that you can't contribute to your own righteousness. When Jesus said, only God is good, I mean, that fell on deaf ears. That just went right by him. That didn't divert his eyes off the law. That comment was wasted on this man. His eyes were veiled with a facade of self-righteousness. His vision was clouded with the fog of good deeds. His heart is tricked by the lie of his own merit. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this about the man. Did you see how when he gave the commandments, he went straight to the second half of the Ten Commandments? He went straight to the second tablet. He went to those commandments that relate to other people, which externally it's possible to keep. I mean, Jesus didn't say, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, because he knew that this man wasn't even thinking in that realm. Jesus didn't give him that. When, when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount and he started to break down the law and to talk to people about relating to God and your heart attitude underneath all the commandments, this guy was out of town. This guy wasn't even there. He didn't think in that way. The man was good and he wanted his goodness to be the basis of his righteousness. And that's the very first hint of tragedy in this gospel account. Unless you think that you are beyond this, that you are in no way like this man, you need to understand that this is the default position of the human soul. The natural compass of your heart is set to a hard north of self-righteousness. And every single day it wants to go back there. Every day you want to believe that in some way you're good and in some way you're contributing to your standing before God. You know, just, just a few verses down, Jesus is essentially having this same conversation with his disciples. As James and John come to him and they say, Jesus, can we sit on your left and your right hand in glory? You work through the narrative, you see that they think they can offer something to Christ. They think they've got something going for them, that they've done some good, such that they can sit beside Jesus in glory. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. You, you can't offer me anything. I came to serve. I came to, to give you my righteousness. 
We don't like the truth that we're wicked. And we try and get away from the truth that we're depraved. I remember I saw this played out so clearly when I was very young in the faith. I was, I was about a year old as a Christian. I was serving on an aircraft carrier. Before I served on submarines, I was on aircraft carriers. And we were out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And every Sunday we used to have church. And lots of people would come. And the captain of the ship, he was a man who was, who was going places in the military. I mean, he was a man who really hadn't put a foot wrong. Uh, in fact, when we were away on that trip, we had received a signal to say that on return, he would be promoted to, to admiral. He was a man who, who had gold on his shoulder out to here and, and medals to follow. He had a lot of good things going for him. Well, one Sunday, the chaplain was flown off um, on compassionate grounds. And it was known that I was a Christian, so they asked if I would take the service. Now, I was a year old in the faith. I really didn't know what I was doing. I said, yes. I didn't know how to preach. I knew enough to open my Bible and to say that you're all sinners and your good deeds won't save you and you need a savior. And I remember so clearly on that Sunday, standing before everyone that came and just doing my best to preach a short gospel message. We were in Isaiah 53. And I remember at one point locking eyes with this captain, this good man. And I remember looking at him in the eyes as I was saying that your good deeds won't save you, and I remember he, he could not hold my gaze. His eyes dropped to the floor. Now, now, what was going on there? Was he intimidated by the authority of the man before him? I was the lowest of the low. I mean, I was right down the bottom. He didn't have any regard for me. I mean, was he convicted by the, the incredible rhetoric of the preacher? <laughs> I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what I was doing. The gospel truth that your good deeds count as nothing before God was piercing his heart, and he knew it. You see, scene one of this gospel tragedy is a warning. It's a warning that we would not be like this man, that we would not find any worth in good things, in our ministry responsibilities, in our financial success, in our well-behaved children, whatever it is, whatever it is you take pride in, we must find no value in those because they count for nothing in terms of righteousness before God. Rather, you need to fight. You need to get on your knees day after day and pray and teach and preach to yourself that without Christ, you are totally wicked. Without any work of Christ in your life, you are completely depraved. You have nothing to offer the Savior. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Pastor Paul has just impressed on us that much of our lives can consist of sound and fury, as Shakespeare wrote, but did it accomplish anything in light of eternity? Is your life ultimately signifying nothing? Think deeply about the life you are living. Are you content with its trajectory? Will anything last after they put you in the grave? The Bible teaches this. If there is something preventing you from surrendering all to Christ, cast it aside. Learn more about living a life of great worth instead of one ending in tragedy. Visit our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. Select broadcasts 
where you'll find our free audio archive with an abundance of helpful teaching. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If this solid Bible teaching is a great benefit to your walk with Jesus, would you consider making a financial gift to this outreach ministry? You'll be a part of what God is doing to reach thousands of souls with the good news of Jesus. To make your gift of any amount, go to TimelessTruthToday.org and select Donate. Thank you for your consideration. Join us next time as we hear about a rich man who questions Jesus but goes away sorrowful. That's tomorrow, part two of The Gospel Tragedy. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.